So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2. I was told you guys are in Acts. I'm just trying to find my notes here. So my, uh, my hope today is to just kind of share with you a little bit of my story, my family, and a little bit of our ministry um, through the lens of Acts chapter 2. Acts for us is an incredibly important uh, book of the Bible for us as a church body. In fact, um, we had this crazy thing. We have core values. You guys have core values here? Yeah, we had this crazy core value that we believe the Bible is like real. <laughs> and it's like it's God's word. And um, now I'm 41. You could probably tell because of all the gray hair. But when I was younger and stronger and in better shape like Chris and you know, I thought I could do a lot of things like I'm on my own, you know. I thought I was pretty bright. I thought I was pretty funny and pretty handsome. And the older I get, the more I realize none of those things are true. And I need God. Like, you know, I, uh, all the best philosophies of the world, the, 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 the logic of the world, the, the wisdom of the world, man, it's really limited. It really is, isn't it? Uh, let me just sort of kind of shift that into sort of just like real life. Um, so what I love about Acts, so Acts is Luke Acts. It was written by Luke. He actually writes both books, actually one book. Did you know that? Well, I don't know why. But somewhere along the way, we separate into two. But we, we have the name, we call it Acts because it's the Acts of God. And I love that. As a U.S. missionary, one of the things that sort of core conviction for us is that um, we want to witness revival. And so what does it mean to be a witness? Witness means that uh, we, we do go into tough neighborhoods. We do work in some, some tough places. And sometimes for us as like middle class people, we see like the hood or like tough neighborhoods as like the evil bad place. But we have this conviction that before we ever arrive, God's already there. You share that conviction? Yeah. And, and so um, because of that, we believe that God's already there and God's already acting acts of God. And so I love Acts because you get to see just God do these incredible things all throughout the passages. But one of the things about Acts that I kind of want you to notate this morning is that uh, in every great move of God, revival and all those kinds of things, uh, momentum and, and church building, all those things, it's, it's not always perfect, right? It's real life a lot of times. So I will share a little bit of my real life this week as just a sort of a humorous way to start this whole thing off with. Um, so I'm going to explain this a little bit more in a minute, but I'm a grandfather, I know, Officer Call, let's all pray together. <laughs> I have a nine-month-old grandson, and he currently lives with me. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not grandpa, I'm not granddad, I'm pop, because my wife decided that we were too young to be grandparents, which we are, and uh, she decided that we were going to be called Lolly and Pop. <laughs> Lollipop. And I'm glad you all like that. I'm glad you like it, because it's way better than Granny and Grammy. I mean, I'm not, if, if you are over 50 and Grammy, I know, hey, I'm with you. But, you know, at 41 and being Grandpa or being a Paul Paul or something, just, you know, it's hard to swallow. Just got to be honest with you. And so uh, <clears throat> I'll share a little bit in a minute, but I have a 19-year-old daughter who had a child out of, out of wedlock. And so right now, as you can imagine, guess who's raising the grandson? We are, we are. So I have a 19-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 4-year-old, and a 9-month-old. And there's like a whole other 35 people who call me dad. I don't know how. I need more support. Just give a lot of money today. Um, you think I'm joking. That part is not a joke. That's just straightforward. I've got a 27-year-old goddaughter named Kiki. Kiki's awesome, man. Black girl from the hood. She's got tattoos everywhere. And she's got a, she's got a master's degree now. Can you believe this? Her mom is a crack addict, never went to high school. I mean, this is like a like true success story. But at 27, she's still like, Dad, you got gas money? I'm like, Dad, gas money? I'm the missionary in this scenario. The whole goal was for you to, like, make it and, like, give back the pop. You know what I mean? So anyways, I got a grandson in the house, he's nine months old, he's teething, he's in, and we're, you know, I went from four years old and, and no babies and done, and we fixed all those things biblically and, and medically, and, uh, <laughs> and now we have a grandson at home. So this week, I, uh, I get a lot of times the late night, middle of the night duty, you remember those nights? Oh, aren't they just brutal? <laughs> They're just awful. The kids are so cute until they, two in the morning. And uh, so, so I, I had the late night shift. My daughter, uh, I commute my daughter to school right now. My, not my 19-year-old, my 15-year-old. I know you've lost track already. Just remember, I have like 30 of them. And um, so I'm, I'm driving her to school. I drop my 15-year-old off to school. I grab a biscuit at Hardy's, which I had one here this morning because God loves me. And I love Hardy's biscuits. I eat my biscuits. And as I'm driving like this, I notice something on my hand. 
And I realized I ate my entire biscuit with excrement from the night before for the nine-month-old on my hand. Excrement's a fancy word to say poop. For those good old boys in here who wasn't sure. I, I, I ate a biscuit with poop on my hands, people. That's real life, isn't it? Uh, a lot of times, here's the point of that story, like well, how does it tie back into Acts 2? We are going to talk about Acts 2, believe it or not. But here's the thing about Acts. I love Acts. Pastor and I were talking about Acts over lunch the other day. It's like it is my favorite book. When I got radically transformed by God, I just loved Acts. How many of you have ever been like, you know what? To live when Jesus lived would have been like awesome. Wouldn't that have been great? I mean, I, I would have loved to see like all the cool things like Peter cutting the guy's ear off. Oh, wait, no, we start with the other one stuff first. I would love to see uh, Jesus feed 5,000, all the sweet stuff. And maybe the ear might have been cool, too, you know. But, but I mean, that's been a cool, like, cool experience, right? And then I kind of think about Acts, and I get, like, all romantic, and, like, I see Acts through the rose-colored lens. I'm like, man, Acts looks really great. And, and it would have been cool to be at Acts 2 in the upper room and to see, like, the tongues of fire and all the, the miraculous signs and wonders. That would have been great, would it not have been? And then uh, you, keep, you keep exploring Acts, like, wow, Cornelius is a house. I mean, it's just really awesome. But here's the thing about Acts. It's not, it's not always remembered because we have this thing as humans. We always look back at how sweet things are. Like a lot of you in the room, you're like, oh, I remember when having a baby it was so sweet and so cute. Then you remember when you ate a biscuit with poop on your hands. And you're like, no, that wasn't as all it cracked up to be. But Acts is like that. There's like lots of cool things that God is doing, a wonderful Acts. God's doing miraculous signs and miraculous wonders. But there's also some other stuff in Acts. Like God smiting that man and woman dead in the church. Like that's not what we think about when we think about revival, right? Or, or what about in Acts, I think it's 6 or 7, you're going to get to it, I think next week or so. But, but there's, uh, there's divisions on how food is being shared. And you know what the division's over? Race. It's a racial issue. So all of a sudden, what I kind of noticed about, about this, my funny story about my grandson is, you know, he's so handsome, he's so cute, he actually is so far the best kid we've raised, which is radical. We've only had him for a month, that's probably why. We're, we're going to destroy this child yet. But, but, um, but sometimes we look, we look through lens and life, and we, we just want the revival, we just want the sweet stuff. But here's the real deal about God, and here's the real deal about real life. It's really real. And, and, and not every, when we look back at the, old, or the New Testament or the Old Testament and Jesus, we sometimes only remember like the great acts of God, right? We only remember the miracles or the signs. But the, really, the reality is that living the Christian life, living Christ's life, not always so great. You know, there's that story where Jesus is like doing the like signs and wonders and miracles and then I start walking him off the cliff. <laughs> there's that passage. There's the passage, I don't know, uh, crucifying him. And, I, and my understanding, crucifying him naked, like, that's even worse. Like, it's not always so great. Sometimes being, what I'm saying here is sometimes being a spirit-led person, sometimes living in the acts of God gets really real. gets really gritty. And so for us as a church, we try to, to live out that Christian life, and we try to be inspired by acts with the conviction and the understanding that sometimes in the midst of the acts of God, life is really real. I totally forgot to show you. Will you show my wife? I, my wife would have been here today. We should, the plan was to be here. This is my wife, Andrea. She, yes, I know what you're thinking. She out, I outpunned my coverage. She's a lot prettier than I am. Um, she would have been here today, but we had a nine-month-old doing his thing in the middle of the night. And then my four-year-old was having night terrors and was up for a couple hours. Any of those kids ever have night terrors? Man, okay, let me tell you about night terrors real quick. Parenthetical, I know I'll be done by 1.15. But here's what night terrors are like. Night ter- the first time your child's out of night terror, you think demon possessed, and you do all the things. You fast, you pray, tongues, you lay hands, you anoint. It's a bad night. It's not a good night. I was looking through my pictures, and I realized I don't have a picture of my old family. So this is the best you get. But again, I do have a 19-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 4-year-old, a 27-year-old goddaughter, and a 24-year-old goddaughter, and a godson who's 26. I told you there's more. The really real, Acts chapter 2, if you have your Bibles. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Notice this, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as fire appeared to them where all, uh, appeared to them and rested on each of them. This is why I have glasses. I, for, I always forget these things. Thank you for being patient. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of his own native language? And then they start describing who's present, the people who are present. In verse 12, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocked and said they were filled with new line. <clears throat> so Acts, one of the things about Acts, this Acts of God passage, and this one specifically, it is about this, this radical encounter that sometimes the supernatural, all-powerful force named God comes and intersects with human lives. Don't you love that? Isn't it important to remember? Sometimes, I don't know about you, sometimes we read the Bible, we're like, okay, I read the passage, what does it mean to me? But before you ever get to the question of what does this mean to me, let's pause and ask this question. What does it say about God? Here's what it says about God. It says that God never left his people. It says that God's willing to show up and, and to do miraculous wonders that humanity might be saved. God never stopped, right? It's not that Jesus Christ dies on the cross and he raises again. It's like, okay, good luck. You know, say those sinners' prayers and, and, and go out and do your thing. It's not just that. It is that, and it's also this, that God's willing to give his spirit to us. And that's what this idea of spirit and power, or some people would say Pentecostal or spirit fullness. And that's this. Uh, you learn real quick as a parent and definitely as a spouse that there is, that there is nothing that I can do in myself to be a good dad or, or even a good husband. A, a lot of times I think we white knuckle it, right? Like white knuckle addiction. Like you, you try so hard. But the, the best Christian says, you know what? It is not in me. But it is in me in this sense that God will empower, God's spirit can guide me to be something that I could never be on my own. Isn't that the good news? The good news is you're not good enough. And that's okay because God is. And the good news is that that God is not just good enough up there playing chess with our lives. It's not that at all. In fact, it's this kind of God, a personal one. You see, no, no one ever promised you a rose garden. Your mom ever said to you? That's what my mom said to me before and after the spanking. So it's not fair. No one ever promised you a rose garden. And that's, that's the truth. You know, God never promised you a perfect life. I know sometimes we read Acts and we only read it as perfect, but the reality of Acts is it's hard. It's gritty. It's real. Racial issues. People lying about how much tithe they're giving, getting smite dead in the church facility. I mean, it's gritty. But here's the good news. God is with you. And it was prophesied long before he ever shows up. It says he'll be called Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. So today, no matter what grit of life you're going through, look, I didn't sign up for a 19-year-old with a baby. That's not exactly my choice, right? I didn't sign up for that. But in that hardship, guess what? God's with me. Now, I, don't, I mean, it was so great seeing that song, uh, How Great That Art. Oh, gosh. It was like going back to childhood. I'm like, oh, man, I could just stay there forever, couldn't y'all? It's like, skip me. Let's just do that for a while. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, the point is, is sometimes it, it, it's not uh, hallelujah, angels, choirs, and it's not, it's not just singing the altars how great they are. Sometimes life is real. Like poop on your hand, eating a biscuit, real. <laughs> like sometimes your children and your spouse make choices that harm you and hurt you, and they hurt. And it's not that this Christian life is that we're trying to be Buddhist. We're not trying to be Zen. We're not trying to be absence of conflict. That's Buddhism. What Christians are is in the midst of the conflict, we have hope that God is with us. We know it, in fact, and we know we have a hope, hope crosses, he's going to get us through it. Isn't that the good news? And God forbid you don't make it to the end of that, because sometimes that happens too, right? Sometimes cancer comes and you don't get to see the hope on this side of, of heaven, of, of, uh, this side of heaven. But the good news is you get to see on the other side. Everyone is made whole. That's the act of God. The act of God is not that Lazarus rose from the dead and never died again. That's not the act of God. The act of God is that Lazarus rose again, lived with God, and when he dies one day, guess what? Heaven. That's lost in our society, I think, isn't it? Isn't it lost in the church today? It's like heaven and hell. Do they really exist? Well, my hope is that it does. That's my belief. So Acts 2, we have this spirit-empowered living. We see right off the rip that... that um, that, that the Holy Spirit comes and he empowers his people, the tongues of fires. And I love this, you know, this whole tongue thing. I know this is a big debate. And I know it's challenging. So we'll put the challenging debate side for a moment on the, on the side table here. But here's what we do know, that, that people heard in their language. Why? Why would, that be, why would that be the sign that would God do? Would, would do? 
because he wants every man and woman present to experience and encounter him. We get so caught up in like what the tongue debate is. Well, you put all that aside for a moment. What the, what's the point that men might know Jesus? In fact, I had one professor one time who said this. Maybe the greatest miracle wasn't the tongue out their mouth. Maybe the greatest miracle was that second part. Listen to this. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them in his own language. <laughs> maybe there was a miracle in the tongue. Yes and amen. And maybe there was a miracle in their hearing. Isn't that radical to think about? Maybe, I think it's right. I think it's pretty good. So the point, again, is that we're trying to, trying to really hit home here is that God's going to be with us no matter what. And that God's going to do signs and wonders no matter what. And the signs and wonders isn't just for church people. It's that all might know Jesus. It's, it's funny to me because, as a, so I'll tell you a little bit of my story. As a, as a teenager, uh, I got radically saved in my teen years. I was going to an Assemblies of God church, a Pentecost church, and we had speaking in tongues in our church. And somehow it got out at my school that we had this thing called tongues at church. And so kids wanted to come to church with me to see tongues. And I was like, okay. <laughs> that is never what you expect as a Pentecostal kid growing up, by the way, especially in the 80s and 90s, which in the 90s, you definitely didn't want anybody to come to church with you because then you have to explain that weird thing, Right. So these kids would come to church and like just to watch this thing. Um, and I got on that tangent for a reason, and I now I have forgotten. There's your grandpa here. I'm Pop. Back to Pop. I trust the Lord that you were supposed to hear something in that. Oh, 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 that's what it is. See, Pop got it. <laughs> I'm glad y'all like me. <laughs> It'd be a lot harder if you didn't. Yeah, I forgot it again. No, just kidding, just kidding. But sometimes we, we think about tongues. When I was a kid, we thought about it as in the church and the signs and the wonders. Like it's supposed to be in here. And, and there, there's certainly a place for the encounter and the miracles of God are supposed to be for God's people. But notice what the miraculous signs and wonders is for here. It's not for the church. In fact, they start in the upper room and it spills into the what? The streets. The marketplace. So if you want to debate me about tongues, maybe you can do that with Pastor Chris. I don't want to get into that. But here's what I do want to say to you. If God will speak through a mule, and I love the King James Version, but we have kids in the room, you know what I'm talking about? If God will speak through a mule, speak through me. That some might be saved. Isn't that Paul's words? Can you imagine sitting in your cubicle at the office? Da, 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 da. Ah, tongues, you know, like Spanish or, or Hebrew or what? I mean, wouldn't that be wild? But, but here's the thing. It's like so foreign. Can you imagine? I can't imagine in corporate culture. You're at your office as a paralegal, and all of a sudden, a sign and wonder comes out of you. I can't, I just, it just seems like so radical to think. But yet, that's the story here. It was never, it's not only meant for be the church body on a Sunday morning experience. The signs and wonders aren't just meant for us that we might have a better life. I want Kelsey to be healed. Don't misunderstand me. But part of the miracle will be telling everybody else, guess what God did in my life? I know you have doubt. I know you have insecurity. I know you have concerns. Let me tell you about what God did when I had my doubt, when I had my concerns. Let me tell you what God did when my body was breaking down. But you know what? I'm going to die one day, and that's okay. Oh, it scares me to death. That's okay. Because here's the deal. It wasn't just about this one-time healing. It's the fact that God healed my soul. The greatest miracle of all will not be Kelsey getting healed this morning. I'm praying, I'm believing. I wish I had like, I wish I was the guest speaker that had like a word. It was like, I feel it, and God showed me, I don't have it. I hope your body's heating up right now. You're like, it's happening. But it hasn't happened to me yet. <laughs> I'm going too far, and I'm sorry. I'll, we'll write, I'll write an incredible apology letter. I hope it happens. That's my prayer. I believe that God can do it. I see it. I know he's done it before in my own life. But at the end of the day, when, when all of our time comes to an end, the greatest miracle will not be today. It would be that miracle of seeing Jesus face to face. That's what we live for. And it would be the miracle of seeing. I mean, it would I mean, be great to be healed. But wouldn't it be great if your cousin or aunt who doesn't know Jesus hears your story and goes, I want to follow that God. Wouldn't that be better? Wouldn't you trade, wouldn't you trade your illness for someone's hell? And here's, so uh, let me <laughs> try to pivot back, Pastor Chris, because 1.30 is getting here quick. <laughs> <laughs> So here's, here's our story. Is, uh, so I, I, was, um, I was born in 1978. <laughs> okay, we won't go that far back. I felt called uh, to the ministry as a teenager. Uh, I did something for a little while called youth pastor in a little church in uh, Woodstock, Georgia. And then the Lord called me to the University of Georgia. Go Dawes. Can I get a witness? 
Okay, this is a church. This is, this is definitely God's house. And um, I was there for four years as a pastor, as a missionary. That's where I fell in love with my wife. And, um, and then we felt called uh, to Atlanta to plant a, a university ministry at Georgia Tech. That's right. Go Yellow Jackets. Any rambling wrecks here? Uh, okay, good. We're all Georgia people. Good. We're safe. <laughs> Look, you, missionaries don't go to just the beloved country, right? You go wherever God sends you. I went to the foreign land. <laughs> so we were in Atlanta for nine years as, at Georgia Tech. And, and there, uh, God did some stuff in our hearts. My wife comes from a drug abuse background, uh, a non-believing home. Her mom, her mom was homeless uh, up until a couple of years ago and, um, and, and was just real bad off. At nine years old, my wife took her first flight to Atlanta, Georgia, her first flight ever by herself because her family in Rochester, New York, shipped her to Atlanta to live with an aunt and uncle. And so because of that, when she became a believer, she thought, man, I always want to adopt one day. And so uh, you have that next picture of my uh, oldest daughter. Um, so in 2010, uh, I had some health issues as well. And God didn't heal me. He's going to heal you. That's my faith this morning. Um, but in 2010, I had some health issues. And so my wife and I decided that we wouldn't adopt when we were older and you know, more together and more financially stable and more mature. But we would just go ahead and take the challenge of James, true religious, taking care of the poor and the widow and the orphan. And so we jumped in, and we decided to adopt. So this is in 2011. This is my oldest daughter. Uh, at the time here, she's 10 years old, maybe 11. And this is her signing her adoption papers. You know, some cool things about adoption in the state of Georgia. Do you know when my daughter signed this paperwork right here, it goes before a judge, and we go before a judge of family. Did you know they change her birth certificate? Her birth mom's not on her birth certificate. My wife's name is. My wife's high school address is because my wife would have been in high school when she was born. That's really weird. <laughs> and so her name on her birth certificate was Soraya Riley Stevens. Her biological sister is Jade, Jade Renee Stevens, and Jade was there that day as well, but I, I didn't have the picture with me. And so Jade was five at the time, and they came into our home. And in fact, they had a cousin named Danela who lived with us for a little while. We were foster parents for a little while, for six months. And so God, God just kind of radically changed our lives and gave us a radical challenge. Now let me tell you something about this whole Acts passage. We talked about this Acts, sort of the rose-colored lens and the sort of the euphoric and the romanticism. You know, it's, it's when you feel called to do something, there's a lot of excitement. Pastor Chris, about 15 years ago, remember that excitement of starting a church? Oh, it's real exciting. And there's great days, but there's some hard days, isn't there? And so, uh, as you can imagine, as we all have had kids and gotten married, the romanticism, you know, wears off. And then there's just the everyday. You know, was, you know, can you imagine, uh, we, we were so stunned, we were so excited about having a kid. Uh, we brought the girls home for the first time, we were coming down 75 South, and we were in our car, we were in the fast lane, we were going like, I don't know, you know, probably 80, maybe 90, no, definitely 80, probably 70. We were going 63 miles an hour on 75 South, and all of a sudden my daughter opens the door, the five-year-old opens the back door. Like the things you learn as a parent when you adopt a nine and a five year old, you're like, okay, pull over, child safety lock, got that figured out. And the next day we had a little conflict in the house, and I was like, okay, I know you need time out, but I'm not for sure how long. I'll be back in three days. <laughs> I mean, you just really jump in when you adopt older kids, right? And, um, and so the, the whole point of the story is that, that there was, a, there was a, a rose-colored lens. There was an expectation of just perfectness and sweetness. Even though, I mean, at 30-something years old, I knew better. And yet you're just so caught up in the excitement and the love of it, right? But real love is like, is like 1 Corinthians 13. Patient, kind, long-suffering, enduring, right? And so what we learn here in Acts chapter 2 is what we see, we're going to fast forward a little bit. Look at 42 through 47. Is this is what I'm going to share with that story and how I tie back into Acts. Is that love is selfless. To be a Christian is to be selfless. Everyone loves the, uh, not everyone, but people make a big deal about, um, you know, wives submit to your husbands and they go, oh, get all outraged. Yeah, read the next section in Christ. And, and husbands love your wife like Christ did. You know, in other words, die for her. Selfless loving, to be Christ-like, is to be willing to sacrifice it all. No, man, no greater love than this is than to 
Give your life for another. And so this is what we see in 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. This is sort of the spiritual components, the elements of what it means to be the church. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them to proceeds to all as they had need. This isn't communism. And this isn't like we all move to a commune and live happily ever after together. This is being willing to live selflessly, selfless lives defying us as Christians. So that, that, that picture of Sariah was, was our opportunity. And, and we all know this in marriage too. Uh, you have a book on your, on your thing I love, Sacred Marriage. As, as husbands, as wives, as fathers, we have the opportunity to live selfless lives. And that selfless living isn't just in our family life. Sometimes as Americans, we get very individualistic, and it's like, you do you, and I'll do me, and my family do our thing. But selfless lives, like to live a Christian life is to say this, that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son to live selflessly for us, and he encounters us, and therefore I want God to encounter you through me. And so therefore, my selfless living isn't just for me and my family. My selfless living is for us. Myself is living for us. So in 2015, uh, fast forward from the adoption, uh, out of tech, we felt called to plant a church in a particular geographic area, the 30318 zip code in the northwest Atlanta. And the thing about the 30318 zip code is it's a very transitional part of Atlanta. So there's middle class people who look like me and you, and they have corporate jobs and all the corporate things. But there's also these really tough neighborhoods uh, that are predominantly African American, not part of the city. And, and are very impoverished. Uh, almost all live below the line of poverty. And so we, we decided that we didn't want to be the kind of church that just did cool, hip church for cool, hip people. But we wanted to be the church for everybody. Because what we saw in Acts chapter 2 is that those tongues weren't just, the, weren't just my language that I speak. What we see in Peter's sermon is that he spoke a language that they understood. What we see is that through, through Peter and through the apostles, that God speaks through them in languages that everyone could understand. And so we were going to bring the gospel, our, our passion, our vision, our convictions, to bring the gospel not just to those who look like and sound like me, but to bring it to all those that we might encounter. And so in this passage, you see this idea, right? You see the they, they devoted themselves together, fellowship. There's this, there's this they, there's this us, there's this collectivism in, in, involved here. One of the things about salvation, I think, for us as Americans, isn't it just that God uh, saves and heals our hearts? It's that God reminds us that we're a part of something bigger than me. We're a part of the they. We're part of the us, the them. And so at times that might require us to do something very selfless, like selling possessions and giving to those who have need. So for us as a church body, every single Sunday or Saturday, we offer groceries in the neighborhood. That's one of our relief efforts. Every single Wednesday, we bring kids in from the hood to our church, uh, which is about a mile away. We have a mile distance. Uh, something like 40, 45 kids. Uh, we take kids to camp. We, we, do, we do everything that we can that we might win some. Isn't that a good vision? Can you rally behind that? Not, not because I came up with it. That's an Acts thing. That's a church thing. That's a believer thing. It's a God thing. So how I got in the neighborhood, let me tell you that story right quick. Um, we're only 1130? Oh, God, we still have an hour. Um, okay, so really quick. Um, so I, I have a, a motorcycle that I'm about to sell because I'm prioritizing my family. I want to live selflessly. You heard it, Lord. Okay. <laughs> but in the early days of playing the church, I was asking the Lord, where did you want us planted? And so I would drive the neighborhoods on my motorcycle, and I would do prayer rides. That was also a way to get out of the house. That's where the kids were. Are you with me? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes God things are like, <laughs> just get me out. <laughs> and so I would ride my motorcycle around, and I would pray on Saturday mornings. I got these real loud pipes, you know, real manly-like. So it's really, really, uh, it lets everyone know Pastor Dale's here. And, um, and I kept coming back to this neighborhood called Lincoln Homes. Kept coming over and over and over again. Every time I would come, I just, I just felt this, like, thing, this, like, heaviness, this burden, you know? And so I was like, okay, I think this is where we're supposed to start. And so we started in this neighborhood called Lincoln Homes. And, and, and one day we had this, uh, we just call it Adopt a Block. We go door to door. Like, not like, you know, 
are you going to heaven or hell, but like, hey, we love you, and Jesus loves you too, and how can we serve you today, yeah, that kind of thing. And then, then we get to, you know, heaven's really great, and hell on earth's really bad, so let's follow Jesus, you know. And so we were doing that kind of a thing on a Saturday morning. We had a youth group from Dallas Assembly, which now, if you maybe have never been to Dallas, Georgia, maybe you have, but it's, it's definitely more uh, you know, metro, rural uh, uh, area. So we had, in other words, all white people. <laughs> in an all-black neighborhood, and we were in a little circle in a little park, a little city park, and we were praying, and we are asking God, hey, to go with us and be with us and help us to do God's work today. And uh, as we start to leave the park, it's a Saturday morning at 10 o'clock in the morning, and guess what we hear? Gunshots. Now, gunshots aren't uncommon in the neighborhood, but they are at 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning. <laughs> That's when drug dealers sleep. <laughs> so we were like, I was like, oh, okay. So what we're going to do here, we're going to pray longer here where it's safe. So all the parents' faces are white, and all the kids are like naive, not, not sure what's going on. And, and Pastor Dale's scared, not really sure what to do. We're just going to pray. So we prayed a little longer, and then we start to go out in the neighborhood about 30 minutes or so later. And there's this little young dude named Antoine. Antoine walks up to me. He's like this tall, and he's like 10 years old. And I am like uh, sort of getting to know Antoine, but also very puzzled by Antoine. I think to myself... I'm a black kid in the hood. Why am I walking around with a weird white dude who's like 40? You know what I mean? Like, it just seems weird. And I'm not really sure what's going on here. But he walked away for two hours. Can you believe that? Here I am out literally witnessing in the neighborhood, offering people help if I can change a light bulb or take trash out, but also Jesus. And this kid just walks with me. And I'm like, wow. That... So there's this thing about uh, theology. We believe in the depravity of man. Like, right? That there's, we're not all perfect. There's something broken about us. But here's another thing in theology we believe. God's working on people. And so it's, like, it's really an important conviction of ours. Because our conviction isn't that we brought God in the neighborhood, but that God's already there and he's already working. We just want to work alongside of him. That's what Jesus says in John chapter 4, I believe. And so Antoine walks to me for a cup, two hours. Two hours of walking. How many 10-year-olds had that kind of attention span? And I get to the end of our walk, and we get back to the park. And I'm, I'm, I can see the park. We're about a block away. And Antoine tears off from me, just runs off from me, because there's a group of young dudes, we call them the Dope Boys, out there selling drugs. Back in the day, this park had a website called Dope in the Park, where you could go sell drugs. Isn't that crazy? It's hard to imagine. Just like out there on the web. And so Antoine tears off, and he does what the young kids do in the neighborhood, the dap. And dap is, you know, like, ah, oh, the cool stuff, right? Boom. Cool. And in that moment, God has a little conversation with me. He says this. It will not be the gun that kills Antoine. It'll be the relationships. See, for us, we watch the news, WSB or CBS or ABC or whatever the news you watch, and you see the random, what appears to be a random gun shooting, and you see the, the violence or the carjacking, and, and we get like, kind of scared. I'm not saying that, that no random violence happens, but I'm saying this. Majority of violence happens over a reason. It's usually something like power, turf wars, it's usually something like greed, more money, rob somebody. It's usually something like a girl. It's almost always a girl. And so what God was showing me the moment is, yeah, there, there might be a gun aimed at Antoine one day, but it will not be the gun that kills Antoine. It'll be the person, it'll be the broken relationship, it'll be the conflict, the frustration between Antoine and somebody else. And so God asked me this question, who will have a greater influence on Antoine? The dope boys or you, Pastor Dale? Except he didn't say Pastor Dale, he probably said boy or something like that. And I was like, wow, who's going to have a greater influence on Antoine? 10-year-old boy. The dope dudes or me? And so we committed ourselves to church. I committed myself to Antoine in that neighborhood. Today, I wish I could tell you some awesome praise report about Antoine. I wish they would say, oh, you know, Antoine loves Jesus and he's leader of our worship choir. That'd be awesome. He's not. See, Antoine's a 14-year-old boy now and Antoine is... Um, Got scars on different parts of his body where his dad beats him. Antoine's an angry little dude, and he robs people and does all kinds of bad things. And he's got a little ankle monitor on at 14 years old. And part of me gets kind of down and sad about that. And then I remind myself this. I was never called to save Antoine. I was called to be obedient and to love Antoine. Because the gritty reality of being a church in any community, the gritty reality of being a Christian in any community, is that you're, it's not that you're called to save somebody. It's that you're called to share with somebody. Remember Jesus and that rich young ruler? Jesus, by our understanding, he strikes out. 
he, the guy says, how do I get to heaven? And Jesus goes, here's how you do it. And the guy goes, oh, nope, sad, walks away. The guy doesn't turn because the reality is, just like Christ, the, the pressure isn't on him. The burden is on the person to make the decision back. In the same way, we're not called to save people. We're called to love people and to share with people. And they were selling their possessions. They were living selflessly. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Here's what I want you to know. That Acts is about the really real. That life is gritty sometimes. That to live a Christian life is to live a life of witnessing the acts of God. To live a Christian life is to share the Emmanuel, God with us, with others. To live a Christian life is that nobody promised you a rose garden. No matter what you go through, God loves you and he's with you. And you get to do that with spirit empowerment. You can't do it on your own, but you can do it through God's spirit. Acts 2, 42 through 47. So because of Antoine's life, we just hone in on this passage. We try to just live these out as a church body, and I hope that you do too. The next part of the passage says this, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added their number day by day, those who were being saved. Isn't that awesome? We say, and the, and the, the cool hip people today will say things like, get the dub. You ever heard of that? I, I got all kinds of cool hood slangs if y'all want to have lunch. I'll teach you a bunch, like no cap. I mean, all this kind of cool stuff, right? I, I say these things in the neighborhood, and, and everyone's like stunned. The, the weird-looking white dude knows this stuff. Uh, I have two identities in the hood. I'm Pastor Dale, for those who know me. And if I'm, they don't know me, you know what I am? I'm a police officer. <laughs> so in the neighborhood, they call you a 12. So I'll be walking through, and you hear, 12, 12, 12. Like, I get this, like, like the Pied Piper of police, like I'm walking through, and everyone's <laughs> running for the hills. It's hard, hard to do witnessing that way. But get the dub means get the win. And that's the thing is sometimes I think as Christians, I don't know about you, but sometimes we, we kind of live defeated. You're not meant to live a defeated life. You're meant to live a winning life, a victorious life. That doesn't mean Benz is in the cars and, you know, four-story houses or whatever. It means that you live victoriously over sin and death. Get the dub. So they, they, and, and it's important as a church body to celebrate the wins, right? And so that's what's happening here. They're celebrating the wins. And the wins aren't that, that I mean, they could say, like, and, you know, Johnny over on uh, William Street, uh, he was, uh, you know, a, a, a beggar and now he's rich. Or he could say, uh, you know, Jill had that disease and now she's whole. They're not celebrating that. And that's okay to celebrate. It's not wrong with that. But they're celebrating here is that many were added to their number. Boy, that's a good day. When people go from hell to heaven, that's a good day. That's something to celebrate. So get the dub. Get the win. So what are some of Riverside Church's wins? Oh, man, we got this kid named Rolando. He came to camp with us uh, four years ago, and he gets saved, gets radically transformed. This kid, literally, when I was in the neighborhood, he would literally walk other ways around me. I'd be, like, on the same street, like, Rolando, what's up, bud? And he would literally walk the other way. <laughs> literally. That we, we, our house, we had, so the church bought a house because we wanted to be Emmanuel God with us. So we bought a house in the neighborhood. We figured if that we're going to be there, we're going to be all the way there. It was our first purchase of the house, the church actually. And so our house is in the middle of the neighborhood. You almost can't avoid it. And so Rolando would go around other people's yards to avoid our house. Like they'd rather risk like death and, th and gunshots and violence and whatever than go by us. But now Rolando went to camp, he got saved. Two years ago he goes to camp, he comes back and goes, I feel like God's called me to ministry. That's a win. That's called a win. That's called God added to their number. That's a good day. We um, have a lady named uh, Nancy. I almost put a picture, I didn't send it, but Miss Nancy is homeless. Uh, she's been homeless on the streets since 1983. It's a long time. I've got mug shots of her from the 80s, and she's this really attractive lady. And now if you saw her, you'd be like, wow, she must be 80, 85 years old. She's just tattered and beat because she's living on the streets for all these years and, and being an addict and, and drug addicted and all these kinds of things. And um, for the last, uh, about uh, 18 months ago or so, she got ran over by a martyr bus. <laughs> they call her a street soldier because she's got, like, plates in her arm and her face. And she got ran over by a bus, and they had to amputate her leg. And so we walked with her through that journey. 
We showed up at the hospital, took care of her, and took her food, and we, we, we got her an attorney to help sort things out, not so she could get rich, you know, but so she could take care of her bills and things. And, and today, Nancy, I saw her just two days ago, and she talks my ear off. It's crazy. But she saw me, and guess what? She's uh, 25 pounds heavier than she was like three months ago. Uh, she gave me a big hug, which in the old days was like um, hugging a leper. It was like just smelly and like, oh, am I gonna, you know, how's, this, how's this gonna unfold, you know? I'd hold my breath literally, <laughs> try to love her really good, you know? And, but now she's like clean, got shampooed hair. She's just, just making remarkable life changes. Miss Michelle is in our church. She's another white lady actually in our church. Miss Michelle came to us uh, four years ago and uh, was a heroin addict, three years clean. Isn't that awesome? That's not Pastor Dale. Trust me. You know how hard it is to get people off heroin? That's a miracle. That is no, that's no, you got therapies and counselors and all the, yes, that's a God thing at the end of the day. It's a God thing. Miss Michelle met with me this week. See, we do this thing called Princess Night with Princess Ministry. We go out in Fulton Industrial, we give roses away to girls who are in the sex industry. And we give them a little number they can call and get off the street. The hotline, secret hotline. So I took Miss Michelle out because she used to be a street worker. She used to sell herself for drugs. I took her out about a year ago, and it just gripped her. And what was really radical, I used, we did it for years. And we would go out there, and, and there would be so much transition. That I would never, I would rarely, let me say it this way, I would rarely know other girls on the streets. We go out there the first night with Michelle, and, like, they're yelling at her, Michelle! <laughs> like, like, everyone's, like, coming to Michelle. And we're giving them food, and we're giving them all these things. to kind of sort of help some of the, the, the immediate needs and trying to say, look, these are some immediate needs, but the real need is soul work. And so Michelle met with me this week, three years clean off heroin and, and crack and all the other stuff. And she says, hey, I want to I take Princess Knight to the next level. So she starts telling this vision that God's given her. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Isn't that radical? Uh, she's got a high school degree, but she doesn't have college. She don't have seminary, and it's okay. Because God takes these guys, and he speaks through them. Now, we're not going with no wisdom, of course. But we're going to go boldly proclaiming his name with Michelle. So as the Lord added their, num- their number daily. Those are some of the stories. I've, um, I guess i got to wrap it up because it's almost one. <laughs> It's not, it's not really. I kind of lied. Probably should have done that. I love Acts. I love thinking about spirit-empowered living. I'm, sharing, I'm trying to share with you what spirit-empowered living kind of looks like on an individual basis. I'm trying to share a little bit to you what it looks like as a church body for us in the neighborhood. But let me be, let's be clear. There's rural and there's poverty out here as well. There is. And there, you know what? You know what? It's not just the impoverished people who need Jesus. It's the middle class. It's the upper class. Remember the rich young ruler? Rich, key word there. We all need Jesus. In whatever environment you find yourself. I'm trying to also show you this. That spirit and power living is as an individual. It's as a church body. It's also as a family. I think something we forget. You know, I, I, I know I, I was lucky. I had this radical empowered calling. It was kind of a Mount Sinai for me. There was no, there was no doubt. I've had bad days. I've never doubted my calling. But I'm not, I'm not naive. I know not everybody gets that Mount Sinai experience. And that's okay. You know Mother Teresa? You ever heard of her? Mother Teresa? Anybody ever heard? Yeah? You know how she describes her calling? I saw a leper and I loved him. And sometimes we think, oh, man, I wish I was called, I wish I had a great role, I wish I had a title in the church, I wish I had, I wish, I wish, I wish. Here's the reality. At the end of the day, the most important ministry you may ever have is to your family. I don't know about your family. My family has radically changed in the last several years. I don't have, on my dad's side, my dad's been married five times. Let's start with that. I don't have a single family member on that side of the family that's not divorced. Let's start with that. You know what that means? Brokenness. You know what that means? Hurt, pain, trauma. I've got cousins that are struggling with uh, their sexuality. I've got cousins that are not struggling with sexuality, but are sexual. i got, you know what I mean? i got the gamut in my family. Y'all got that in your family? And i got the crazy uncle, too. Y'all forgot about him. i got that guy. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I want to I lead all that, that all might know him. But maybe some of the most spirit-empowered moments you could ever have, maybe one of the greatest calling you could ever have is that calling called husband, dad. Neighbor, friend. Pastor's a good title. That's a cool one. That's a good one. It's not any better than dad. It's not any better than husband. It's not any better than uncle. I had an uncle at five years old that 
My parents divorced young, and he would take me to things, games and stuff. He, one of the best things he ever did for me was write a blank check one time. Can y'all believe that? Yeah. If I'd have known then what I know now, I'd have wrote up a lot more. <laughs> I went on a missions trip, and I was short a grand or something. He wrote me a blank check. He said, whatever you're short, you just write it. You know, I'm 41 years old. You know what? It still moves me. You can move your family. But the power of God, the impassion, the boldness of God, you are called. This sermon series, I think pastors got to call momentum. You got some momentum here at the church. Man, I'm super jealous. This place is, this place is handsome. I would say sexy, but I can't say as a pastor. It's just <laughs> handsome. It just looks good. It really does, man. I'm jealous. This carpet, we've, I've already shown my board your carpet. Did you know that? You, that's my first time here. I showed up to him online. I saw him online. I was like, look at this. We need this. We can't get saved. Can't, people can't get saved on our carpet. It's green. It's got coffee stains and throw up on it. We had a kid, we had a kid rob a neighbor last week on Wednesday night. That, you know why he robbed that neighbor? We had bad carpet. We need carpet, board. Give me some money. Yes, you know, these are, these are fun things. These are nice things. You know, and these things are important as a church body. You, you need to have a good presence and a good, a good presentation. These things build momentum. They get people excited about what God's doing in your church body. But let's don't let it stop with the stuff. The stuff's good. Let's not let it stop with the stuff. Let's see the Lord do this kind of momentum. Listen to this again. Praising God and having faith with all the people. And the Lord added their number day by day to those who were being saved. This carpet means nothing if we don't take the gospel to our families. This, this carpet means nothing if we don't carry the gospel to our neighbor. Man, it's hard to love your neighbor in our world. Y'all in an HOA? I'm not in an HOA anymore for a reason. I'm not. I couldn't be godly there. I was on the board and it went south. And I moved. <laughs> That's not a joke. I've repented. <laughs> Only partly a joke. I really did move. I really wasn't bored, but not, I didn't do anything wrong. It's hard to love your neighbor. But you know what I learned about my neighborhood? Maybe yours is this way. I shared a driveway with my neighbor. Her name was Amy, and I saw her seven times. Here's what I've learned about Americans. You know who your neighbor really is? The one you work in that F-150 with on their contracting job, your general contracting job, the one that you work in the cubicle next to, that's who you spend 40, 50 hours a week with. That's the neighbor you got to love. That's the one who's, you know, competing with you for sales or whatever. That's real love. Loving that guy and gal. Because, see, the carpet, again, is great. The carpet's awesome. The chairs are good. Good job, awesome, the chairs. But these mean nothing if there's not people in these seats. Because that chair will last, what, 30 years? Well, lifetime guarantee? Wonderful. Lifetime is not eternity. And here's the real deal. There is a hell. But let me tell you something. I don't know about you, but for my life, hell on earth is what I know. When, when I was going through the stuff in my life, when I had to go to therapy and all those other things, and I was crawling on the floor wanting to cry and not sure I could handle life anymore, I didn't care about hell. What I cared about was God in that moment. What I cared about is I needed someone to love on me and to pray for me and to give me hope. I needed a neighbor, I needed a friend, I needed a pastor. You know what? God gave me those things. And here's the thing, though, that is your calling. That's your calling. Your calling when your wife is hurting and she's in pain and you don't go to work to be busy, but you give her your attention. When your husband is feeling rejected by you, wife, you get to, and you're irritated and you're frustrated and you're annoyed, and you're going to go, you know what? The Spirit of God, I need you to empower me to love my husband like he's never been loved before. When your kids act out and they're 19 years old, my kid ran away. Ran away. Got pregnant. Caused all kinds of trauma in my life. And I go, God, I don't have the right words. Pastor Dale doesn't, believe it or not, an hour later, I don't have the right words. But God, I got you. I adopted that girl. 19 years old. She's seen the worst of the worst and she's seen a good, godly loving Christian home and she's running hard and I don't have the right words and you know what I don't even have the patience the pain she's put me through I'm over it it's not about you but maybe maybe you can join me and go God I don't have it I need that spirit empowerment because your love is patient and kind not mine but because I can't I know you can through me are you with me let me share one more last story. I know it's been story time with Pastor Dale. I hope it's been somewhat good. Maybe the Lord spoke through this old mule called Pop. You have that last picture up there for me? 
This, this one's in here to, to really grip their hearts, Pastor Chris. That's what I'm going for here. So get ready. Hearts gripped, okay? If not, pretend. Pull out tissues or something. Let me know. That's a 14-year-old boy in the neighborhood. He's got a bunch of, there. oh, man, y'all are good. Look at that. He's, he's holding a bunch of bills in his hands. This is like an Instagram post. You can see his pants sagging. You know, we all love that. And uh, you can't quite tell in this image on this lighting, but he's got tats all across his chest, 14 years old. Isn't that wild? I saw it the first time. I was like, what in the world? This kid's name, I don't know his real name. His name is Drabo. Drabo was 14 years old this past summer when he got into an altercation in the neighborhood and he was shot and killed. 14 years old. Shot and killed. This kid was the cousin, the friend of the kids in our youth group. So they're at camp, actually, this past summer. And they're worshiping the Lord. And all of a sudden, it starts coming through on their phones, the text messages. Drabo's been shot. Drabo's dead. Drabo's dead. And it, uh, it broke them. It just broke our kids. And it broke me. Because uh, I actually never met Drabo. And I, I, I got a little glimpse for a real moment. Because, you know, I don't know about you, but like me, sometimes I, uh, it's like those family members we have that are not, not saved. Sometimes they kind of become white noise. You know what white noise is? It's a, it's a thing you forget about. You no longer hear it anymore. Like this fan is slowly, but no one's hearing it in the room. But it's actually still moving. And sometimes our unsaved friends and neighbors become white noise to us. We stop seeing them. Sometimes living in the neighborhood, working in the neighborhood, I, f- I forget the realities of life and death. 14 years old, never had a chance to share the gospel with him. And he's been shot and killed. And so it's, a, it's been a stark reminder for me because at Christmas time, he had become white noise to me again. I forgot about him. And on Christmas Day, I started seeing on Instagram all the kids in the youth group posting, Miss you, Drabo. Long live Drabo. Love you, Drabo. Merry Christmas, Drabo. You see, for them, they hadn't forgotten. Because that was someone they loved. That was someone who met death too early. It's not just, it's not God's economy that a young 14-year-old boy would die that way. I'm not saying that he didn't put himself in a situation and earn it. I'm saying I wish, I wish Riverside Church could have made such an impact that he wouldn't have been there that day. And he made a different choice that day. So I don't know, um, I know it's, he's 14, he's a kid in the hood, and he doesn't look like you. I know he looks very different. But here's the, here's the underlying transferable principle. This life is fragile, and people are really in it. And God is with them, but they don't know it. And so he's called you, and he's called me, to remind them that he is Emmanuel, God with us. So let's take this carpet and these seats Beautiful stage, handsome pastor, all you good-looking people. And let's share the love of God with people because, because our neighbors are in it. They're in the mess. Because our, our work coworkers and our employees, they're in the mess. Our loved ones are in it. Will you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?